Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to the This Week in Bitcoin. Today is June the 26th. 2020 strong hand long-term thinking bitcoin is the next bitcoin unconfiscatable i'm offended by selling in motion these dudes are in motion i'm pumped to see them they're all over the freaking world we got mauricio in uh canada we got gabriel down in chile and andy hoffman is in uh, the great state of colorado Welcome, everyone. It was an exciting week in This Week in Bitcoin. Remember, new show every day here. DisruptMeister.com. Follow me on Twitter at TechBall, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. The big news of the week. Let's start it off with the PayPal. Everybody was talking about PayPal at the beginning of the week. Hello, my elite friends. I'm sure all of you were talking about it. And PayPal, Venmo, to roll out crypto buying and selling. Okay, let's say this is actually going to happen here. Andy, what does this mean? Mass adoption, what's going on? Well, first, uh, I just want to thank you for having me back. The last time I was on the show was March 20th, which was right after the heart of the, uh, of the crash of the whole world. And, uh, and things have, uh, in the world economically have frankly gotten dramatically worse. But the, in the world of Bitcoin, they've gotten dramatically better. Uh, between the having the hash rate uh, being stable, uh, the price, and of course, uh, just the outlook for money printing. I mean, how much money has been printed in the three months since I was last on this show? And uh, now we're talking about looking at a Democratic Congress and presidency and further economic decline. So I think money printer Burr is about to you know, go to unprecedented levels. And as for PayPal, well, it's, it's just one of these things where one at a time, Every institution, uh, be it a retail institution or a uh, or investing institution, is going to realize that that either they believe in Bitcoin or they just realize that there's a lot of money to be made in it. And uh, you know, first it was Square, which is growing a lot faster than PayPal is growing, uh, and now it's PayPal, which is a lot bigger than Square, uh, with Venmo, which has become this app that everyone seems to use, almost like a portable bank. And uh, one at a time, you're just going to see more and more institutions and groups realize that the, I just saw today the Australian post office is going to offer Bitcoin ATM machines in every Australian post office, every single one. So, uh, you know, it's just it's just like, you know, if you want to fight Bitcoin, you can. But eventually everyone is going to for game theory reasons or simple economic reasons is going to join the party. All right. So you believe it's uh, it's actually going to happen. And when it actually does happen, okay, do you think normies, regular people are going to see on the side, buy Bitcoin and actually do it? And do, yeah. do you think PayPal will stress it? Well, they'll stress it if they're making money doing it. And it's the same thing as uh, like a Robinhood. I mean, if Robinhood could sell Hertz stock, which is bankrupt, they certainly could sell Bitcoin, which will make a lot more money in over time. And look, Robin Hood is the kind of thing that young people are gravitating to. Uh, maybe one day they'll realize that Schwab and E-Trade also have free commissions, but I don't know how many can get accounts there. But look, ultimately, yeah, it's going to be done by everyone for all different reasons. But ultimately, the big reason is money. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Bitcoin. 
but everyone's going to believe that there's a profit opportunity there. And, and by the way, people who got excited by Andy talking about the money printer, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. All right, uh, Gabriel, why don't we uh, go to you? What, what are your, what's your take on the, the PayPal? The timing's great for me. Um, I'm working on an app right now, and I was saving the payment wallet sort of aspect of it for kind of the last step. I, I wanted to get all the, the rest of the functionality in first and then decide on what I'm going to use for the payments at the end. And then this news popped up, and I'm oh, okay, because I really want to use crypto. I, I love the idea of using something friendly and inviting and simple to lure people into using crypto for the first time, you know? And, you know, I would love Bitcoin to play a role in that. But I kept thinking, you know, it's got to just be in the back end. Maybe we use our own in-house points or something to represent the value up front and then just slip them Bitcoin when they cash out or something like that. But then now that PayPal's getting in the game, we can use that logo to kind of help sell it. It's like this little familiar um, imagery that, you know, can help bring in people that would otherwise be scared of the, oh, this is just crypto. You know, so hopefully that helps. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that aspect of it up. When I when I talked about this earlier in the week, and I almost forgot about it, it's great marketing for uh, it's it's great marketing for Bitcoin. They're gonna give they're gonna give yeah. Bitcoin free advertisements uh, to th their how many users they have three hundred million <laughs> or is something like that. Yes, three hundred million. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, hopefully it really happens. I mean, I got I will believe it when I see it. Okay, I'm, I'm just. I, we've all we've heard all these rumors. You know, Andy, you just brought up uh, Australia post office with the you can buy the Bitcoin everywhere. It seems like every year we hear something about Australia where you can buy Bitcoin everywhere. When I was in Australia, I didn't see a darn thing that had anything to do with Bitcoin. It, it, it's just weird what we hear and you know and and what actually happens. Now, to, to Mauricio, that end, to that end, Adam, you know where yes. else you can buy Bitcoin? Uh, and I did it myself. It's not cheap, but you can do it. You know those Coinstar machines in pretty much oh, every yeah. supermarket. Yeah, I mean you'll pay a premium, but you know every single supermarket has a Coinstar now. This is the United States. I don't know if they're in Canada and other countries, but I mean, once it's easy to do, people are just going to do it. Yeah, they exactly. they they, uh, they made a big announcement about that when they opened it up in California. I remember. I, I forgot when this. I think they've been doing this since 2019. Uh. Yeah, it's called Coinme.com, but they're just part of the Coinstar. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, and Andy, your your mic is a little low. I think you might want to turn it up. Uh, now, uh, Mauricio, your take uh, up in Canada with this PayPal news? Yeah, I think uh, you know very similar to you know the previous comments. I think this is a big uh, nod to Bitcoin. I think this is great marketing to Bitcoin. I think this is another step towards the mainstream. And uh, I think in the from the viewpoint of these platforms. You know, Bitcoiners have carved a, a, somewhat of carved our own demographic uh, as far as a, a target group, uh, and and we're associated right now with affluence and technology and being tech savvy and and futuristic. So naturally, uh, you know, PayPal is is not really the only company trying to cater to us. If you see Land Rover, uh, actually just made another nod in their recent advertisement, which which made waves too. But these types of knots that we keep seeing from the mainstream, uh, I think are just gonna keep increasing. Uh, and we're gonna see more and more, call it mainstream brands or mainstream finance, try to get cozy with Bitcoiners, just because not only is it an exciting growth opportunity, but it's also very much on trend with what everybody else is seeing. Like everyone else is seeing the money printing. Uh, and Bitcoin has a very, very uh, successful 
uh, anti-printing campaign or anti-printing anti-printing anti brand, uh, and people are trying to cozy up to it. And and very much to, to the earlier comments that if there's a profit to be made, they'll be knocking on the door. All right, pound that like button, everybody. Now, before we move, does anyone else have anything to say about PayPal before we move to Venezuela, which will be an interesting topic, no doubt. Uh, only only that that with each successive day there's something i mean what sector what asset class do you see such huge announcements whether it's paul tudor jones or paypal uh you know uh, you know it's almost like every month you're going to see some other big institution join on and the higher the price goes there's never been more anything more exciting in the history of finance Hey, yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to be in this space. You never know what you're going to get, the news that's coming in. And it's, it's always a big announcement, uh, it, it seems like. Yeah, so it is the most exciting uh, space out there. Well, unless you consider, you know, traditional finance where they're printing trillions. I mean, that's <laughs> exciting for some people. I mean, I mean, it depends what you consider exciting. <laughs> All right. I, I like innovation, not just uh, money printer. That they, They've had that for hundreds of years. All right. Uh, let So let's talk about a country that knows about uh, printing money. Uh, and the money printer, Venezuela, and that is uh, Mauricio. You're you're originally from there. You, you're in Cat. You're Canadian now, um, and you know what's going on down there. Let's read this headline: Venezuela tests Bitcoin payments for some passports. Unable to process payments via credit card, uh, Venezuela appears to be testing Bitcoin as a viable payment option for passports and other state documents. It does appear this is actually true. Uh, wh what's your take on it? So uh, it's very timely actually for me to be here because I just renewed my passport um, a couple <laughs> of years ago. And uh, so I just want to lay some groundwork here uh, just so that people understand. The Venezuela, the Venezuelan regime uh, long, uh, long ago stopped caring about anybody who left. Um, they pretty much catered to us because they had to uh, on, a, on a, almost a humanitarian rights or premise uh, and also to save face on these countries where they had so-called embassies. Uh, the service, it, I mean, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. Uh, it took me 18 months to renew my password uh, and they never accepted credit cards. They always needed uh, money orders or certified check. So that's complete um, bleep. So uh, to me, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow because uh, I know that Bitcoin's uh, premise is not to discriminate, uh, but it's the equivalent of the person who just entered your house and essentially robbed it and beat up your family and took everything you had, saying that it's now taking Bitcoin for people to go and make donations uh, and take visits. So currently, I said, like I said, it's a very hard pill to swallow, but I hope that in the future, I can use that same attribute to send funds to a rightful cause that is fighting for something that I believe is right. In the meantime, I get very frustrated when people try to elevate a criminal and put them up on a pedestal just because it goes in alliance with their trending political views. Uh, so I'll just maybe pause there. All right, Gabriel, your take in Chile. I'll completely agree with that perspective. I mean, it's very tempting for us in these early days to just 
cheerlead everything that uses Bitcoin, but I mean, <laughs> that's probably not the right way to go if we want long-term, you know, reputation established here. But uh, I mean, in Chile here, there's not really any Bitcoin news to speak of because as you may have heard, everyone's been a little bit preoccupied with other matters over the past year. Um, there have been quote unquote peaceful protests that uh, broke out was it like last September or something like that? And it escalated very, very quickly. It went from crickets one day to we're being literally invaded on our property by terrorists the next week. No, actually, just two two days later, actually. So, I mean, we had to get our heads screwed on properly very quickly and adapt to things very quickly. Um, things have calmed down a little bit. The Computer virus has uh, kind of forced people to get off the streets. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that, there was kind of a silver lining there in that regard. At least it kind of caused things to calm down. And then for some crazy reason, I guess people in the U.S. decided that what the Chileans were up to looked pretty fun. And uh, they decided to copy it. And <laughs> so we've got kind of the exact same thing playing out. It's like I'm watching reruns whenever I turn on th the news now. It's like everything that happened in Chile is just playing out in the streets of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important that people, I mean, we've got... I love when we have South American uh, shows like this. You know, you talk about a, a dictator using Bitcoin, and you talk about the, what's going on in Chile. I mean, it's it's it's, un, it's unbelievable. Now we're we're gonna get back to that Chile stuff in a second, because uh, I want I want to get Andy's take on, on the the what Venezuela is doing. And do you see? And I think I, other countries, uh, although again the guy in charge of Venezuela, no good. Uh, do you think other countries will will follow him? Well, yes. And I mean, this this is probably to me, even though it's kind of a small scale thing they're they're talking about is is a bigger story to me than than even PayPal. When you look at the, the macro implications, I mean, I'm looking at an article I wrote, you know, back in October of 2017 called Bitcoin will make or break governments. Uh, and basically it was saying that, you know, as the world gets worse. And of course, this was not in a, a a virus world, this was in a, you know, seemingly okay world, that eventually that all the countries who have seen their 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 currencies destroyed by A, bad policy and B, uh, US dollar hegemony, would realize when they saw what Bitcoin was that they had a chance to emerge as something stronger uh, and potentially something very strong. Because right, right now it's almost impossible to get uh, out of the bottom tier of nations uh, let alone a country like Venezuela, which is just in such terrible condition uh, politically, socially, and financially. Uh, and you know, now I'm you know when you listen to Max Kaiser constantly talk about the Bitcoin hash war that he's uh, anticipating, and he's talking about Venezuela and Iran. It's exactly the kind of thing that I was thinking. Eventually, countries are going to do everything they can to get Bitcoin. Now, if the Venezuelan government is accepting Bitcoin for anything like a passport, obviously they understand its value. So don't be surprised if they are doing other things like mining Bitcoin uh, and potentially buying Bitcoin. Because ultimately in some of these cases, it's the, you know, they're gonna be their only chance at survival. And, uh, you know, back when I was writing that, I remember I was talking about Belarus uh, because Belarus had done something with Bitcoin, uh, the Vanuatu Islands also. 
But I really spent a lot of time then talking about Japan because not only is Japan very receptive to Bitcoin and very smart financially, but they also have the world's worst demographics and highest debt to GDP ratio. So I do believe that there are going to be a lot of countries that realize the potential uh, salvation of Bitcoin. And yeah, there may be a hash war in the very near term, especially as this global economy and, fun and financial system rapidly is destroyed. I, I want to go back to Mauricio. Is this going to save, uh, is this going to prolong the regime? Um, I don't think people are, so, you know, not to uh, uh, speak poorly of, but, but I guess I, I'll, I'll speak to what it does for us. A Venezuelan password is hardly an asset these days. Uh, so there's uh, not too many people rushing through the door. Uh, this is a gimmick. Uh, you know, to, to the to the earlier point, uh, they have notoriously been trying any which way they can to get Bitcoin. Uh, they're overpaying for your Bitcoin remittances with printed cash. Uh, they're flooding the P2P markets again, overpaying in the P2P markets just to get the Bitcoin. Uh, they are mining. They took some of mine, so I can tell you for sure. Uh, and uh, they, uh, you know, they've done everything they can to uh, circumvent some of the restrictions that some people have tried to put on them because you can't just go into a criminal's backyard and fight with it. There's very little political will to do that. So the weapons that are there today are essentially just restrictions and chuck points so that it becomes unbearable and so that it, it, they actually choose to listen to their people. When they have enough of a grip of, on a totalitarian basis, you see it in Cuba, you see it in Iran, you see it in Venezuela, they, there is no democracy there's just no option for democracy. Uh, anybody that fights for an option for democracy ends up dead, uh, not even in jail. So it, it, it's a failed state by, by all accounts. Uh, and of course, failed states will do what failed states do. They will try to run amok. They will try to stay on the run. Uh, I think eventually uh, it'll catch up. I'm not sure. You know, sometimes I look at Cuba and I think, wow, like, you know, you may actually get cursed forever. Uh, and I, I hope that's not the case, uh, you know, but but uh, I I'd certainly, you know, I, I definitely think this helps. That's why, in a way, I, I mentioned earlier that it's frustrating uh, because it does get them hard money one way or another. And uh, that does help them. So uh, as much as I don't like them, that this does help them. And as much as I love Bitcoin, this is one of the, you know, one of the beautiful things about it that sometimes it's hard to swallow. Yeah. And, and definitely. That them getting this trickle of of money this way, uh, it, it shows that Bitcoin is unconfiscatable and uncensorable. Because it, with all the sanctions against uh, Venezuela, if there was a way to stop the Bitcoin getting into there, the even the States, best criminal, even the top criminal, even the most ruthless, the worst person that is factually violating human rights, they'll be able to get Bitcoin. That's yeah. Well, can consider this. Look. Governments, even the Venezuelan government, certainly the U.S. and Japanese government, but even the Venezuelan government still has the ability to buy real assets with printed money. The Bolivar, I mean, when you can print as many Bolivars as you want and it still has some value, the government can go out and find their own ways to buy Bitcoin. So, And there are many other countries that can do it and there are many other countries whose currency is not as bad as the Bolivar. So th that's the beauty of this hash war. It can start out, uh, you know, once it starts, you can see a lot of countries coming in at once and realizing 
that this is a an asset of real value that they can that they can spend with printed money uh, that's that's losing value on. And you know, again, there's not many things that foreign governments can buy that matter. If you're, let's say, the Venezuelan government, you're not going to print money to buy the U.S. stock market or Treasury bonds, uh, even gold, which uh, especially there they're having such trouble moving it or any government to have gold in any real size. It's almost impossible to move it around and store it or even find it. So yeah, Bitcoin is going to be bought by governments with, uh, and I don't care where the source of the money is, uh, the printing press or or the dark markets or, or the PA of the, uh, of the dictator, but it's going to get bought by a lot of different people in a lot of high places. You know, I, I wanted to bring up something, Mauricio, a clarification. You, you when you were, is the Venezuelan government using, uh, peer-to-peer exchanges to buy uh to buy it to buy a big bitcoin you i thought you said something like that uh like are they yeah, going on so, local? because everyone talks about local bitcoins there's so much venezuelan activity there but is it the government that's doing most of that activity this this isn't the first time i've said this uh you know i said this uh you know i mentioned this to marty uh way back when we spoke and uh and i because i firmly believe it uh, and and not the, I'm not alone in believing this. Now, mind you, it's I haven't been able to go back to the country in three and a half years, so like it's very hard to prove this with data, especially when all this stuff is anonymous. Uh, but I can tell you that uh, a lot of the people moving Bitcoin around in Venezuela are not Venezuelans reading Andreas Antonopoulos' book or Safe's book and waking up one day and saying, "Oh, I want some monetary freedom." Uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the Bitcoin being bought and moved around is people that cannot have their name show up on a bank account somewhere uh, or anywhere, and they just need to do it through a different means. And the other piece too is that the because of all these sanctions and because of all the issues that the government has, and the massive drop in oil, uh, they just have no hard money coming in. Uh, and nobody is willing to take their bolivares because people there are just not that idiotic anymore. <laughs> and so the only people that will take their bolivares are the, the there are a few people. And then you 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 say, okay, who are these people uh, that are actually letting go of their Bitcoin? Like, well, who is where does the selling flow come from, right? And and that's a very great question. And the reason I say that the P2P market of Venezuela is infiltrated is because the if you look at what it costs you to pay for a dollar of Bitcoin in the P2P market, so a dollar in Bitcoin in Venezuela, it's actually more expensive than a dollar many times. And that tells you that it is an, there is a disproportionate demand for Bitcoin relative to dollars. Why would that be? Because it's better. <laughs> Yeah, no. Because <laughs> it's very hard to source, and it's better. I mean, uh, you know, people are in desperation there, so the price gets jacked up. But better to have the premium Bitcoin than to have the the the, the boulevard. Period. For sure. Well, but uh, and then the people that so so just so that to to basically close that trade up because. You have to think of it at both ends, right? Like at one end, there's going to be a person that will be willing to print endless amounts of bolivares to get their hands on Bitcoin, right? Now, who would be foolish enough to trade a precious hard asset for a worthless piece of paper? That's a great question as well. Now, <laughs> the answer to that is somebody that can make a profit on that trade. How does that happen, you ask? Well, I know 
that if I get your Bolivares, your papers, right, that are worth $100 today. So it, essentially, it's a bridge trade for the dollar. So what happens is mm. you sell the Bitcoin. I sell the Bitcoin to you in the P2P market for 10K when it's actually when I can rebuy it at nine. So I'll take those Bolivares. I'll buy $10,000. I'll send them to my Coinbase account and I'll buy 1.1 Bitcoins. And I'll come right back and I'll put up another limit order just to wait for you to fill it. Dude, I, I got to tell you something here. I mean, everybody loves to talk about uh, local Bitcoins and they like, oh, the Venezuelan people are getting their Bitcoin and everything. Well, you just you're the only one saying this uh, and it's great. That's why that's why we have the best guest in the face here. OK, dudes, what, what he's saying, no, no one else is saying. I mean, no one, no one I know is, is saying that at least. Mauricio, do you know anyone else that's that's talking about that the 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 P two P local Bitcoin market might not be as uh, heavenly as everybody says it is, and, and helping up the, and, and so helpful for the the people of Venezuela. It might just be a uh, corrupt government officials that are so dominating it. We can talk to a bunch of people that I know follow this subject well. One of them being Javier. I think he's been here with me actually in the yes. past, Javier Bastardo. Yes. So he, uh, I've talked about this with him in the past. Uh, Ale Machado, so Alejandro Machado probably would be able to. I was on him. I was on Peter's show with him. I believe we talked about this. Um, Matt Arberg, actually, useful tulips. Uh, he follows P2P markets very, but, but very closely. One, but he's the one that's Matt saying he paints it. Well, maybe I'm misinterpreting it. I mean, whenever I see his graphs, he's saying how good it is, you know, how this is a great thing. No, because it, because it's, I mean, again, it's not all bad people. Like there no, are, not. there is real people looking to get hard money. But it, it, but there's, because the market is anonymous, there's just ways to game the numbers. Like it is very hard to tell what number, like what volume is for what. So I can't, I couldn't sit here and tell you, hey, Adam, you know, 100% of all the volume is these people doing this, or it's 10% or it's 5%. I know there is a volume. And if I had to bet, I bet you would be significant. Uh, but it, can I know with certainty what that volume is? I can't. Uh, but but I, I know because of how these people operate and the things they're willing to do and just how they are, like the, the kind of scrupulous, unscrupulous people they are. Uh, and clever, clever and very smart. Uh, it's just it just makes complete sense yeah it does it really does i'm, I'm glad i'm glad you brought this up here i'm really uh, uh i i hadn't really thought about it in, in, in that way yet so all right does anyone else have anything to say about this uh, venezuela any anyone else before we uh move on to the the, the next subject at hand all right uh and i i i want to mauricio you at your company let in you've got this stable coin thing going on uh or us dollar coin i forgot what it is i mean and you're 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 offering people uh, a high uh, rate of return uh, if they if they store their value in uh, with you guys. Now I, I don't <laughs> I love Bitcoin. Now we, we got to get to the base layer here. Are you do you do this for? I mean, it helps out people in foreign countries, right? This is why would someone want to do that? What what is the, what is the service? Can you explain it? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's. Uh... So we offer Bitcoin savings accounts and USDC savings accounts. So we allow people to earn interest under Bitcoin holdings or under USDC holdings. Our first account was a Bitcoin account, our Bitcoin savings account. Uh, but shortly after that, we launched our USDC savings account. And that came for, we, we launched that account for a couple of reasons. Uh, a lot of our clients in Latin America, when they 
get their hands on some hard money. They fight really hard for those savings. We have clients that have you know, a couple hundred bucks of Bitcoin with us, uh, and they and they you know slowly over time keep adding and they keep building their position. When Bitcoin starts moving around, uh, you know, if your life savings go from five hundred to four hundred, that's that's a big hit, uh, and they can go even lower than that. So a lot of people, although they love the um, the versatility and the and the autonomy of having their own Bitcoin they don't always love the volatility uh, and for a lot of people in latam a lot of times they want to have digital dollars so when you're in latin america and you receive your your payment at the end of the month you not not everybody has the option of buying dollars and sending them to a u.s bank account where they can earn interest or pay down their credit card or access all, all these other financial services or access loans most people can just get cash uh, and that cash can do nothing. And actually, it's a huge liability if you get pulled over or if your house gets broken into. So there's a big demand for being able to store these digital dollars and access these services. And so the question we kept getting over and over was, when can we get your savings account in the digital dollar form? Like, we would really love to use a product where we could at, like slowly over time save Bitcoin and also dollars. Uh, and so we said, OK, uh, you know, we could definitely do that because we lend dollars to people that don't want to sell the Bitcoin, right? Uh, and so essentially the way the model works is we announce a partnership with Genesis, which, which obviously enables us to uh, have a great institution behind us and have them as their sort of primary borrower for all of our savings accounts, which is phenomenal. But the way the product works in a nutshell, just to, to, to show people how we're able to pay these rates is when we lend dollars to people that don't want to sell their Bitcoin, we lend that, those dollars out at 14%. Uh, when people put a USDC in our savings account, we pay them 8.8%. So we have enough of a margin to you know, take a spread and pay both people. Uh, and even at 14%, our, our Bitcoin back loans and even our B2X loans to buy more Bitcoin are the cheapest in the market uh, as far as like using loans to buy a di more digital assets. So even, even at those rates, we're still able to offer you know, a great return for both people and still make a healthy margin. So it's not, we're not pulling these numbers out of thin air. All right. This, this explains. I, I'm not sure I get it. I'm not sure I get it. Yeah. Well, it, I don't it, get how something that, yeah, go. No, uh, I, I can see why uh, people would uh, want to store their value in stable coins because they're freaked out by Bitcoin and they're in a developing, co I, I see the demand for the product now. I, I understand that. What were you going to say, Andy? I, just that, you know, in a world where dollars right now are yielding zero, uh, how would you be able to get an 8% yield on dollars? And if you were getting a yield on Bitcoin, uh, it would mean Bitcoin to someone else. So, uh, and, you know, obviously it's risky, whatever that's being invested in, if it's going to be 8% yield. I mean, I'm just very skeptical of a lending point to anybody and be of those yields. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, to me, I think of the U.S. dollar market as uh, 1% at best. And Bitcoin doesn't have a yield unless you consider crypto dividends. So it just, you know, I, I would be, I would not be interested in that. Uh, just to clarify, though, the, we don't pay 8.8 on Bitcoin. The the rate for Bitcoin is 4.1. It's it's far different for the, the rate for U.S. dollars. The demand to borrow U.S. dollars to buy more Bitcoin is 
far higher than the demand. Oh, where, but where is where is the yield? Bitcoin doesn't yield anything. So where is four percent? Let alone you're getting more if you have a spread. Where are you getting more than four percent on Bitcoin, which doesn't have a yield? Yeah, no, the, the Bitcoin does get lent out. It's not it, in order to get the return. It does get lent out. That's why we lend it to Genesis. Okay, I just don't understand. You can, you know, Genesis could borrow dollars for nothing. So why do they want to borrow Bitcoin for more than four percent? I am healthy skepticism. That's all. <laughs> no, no, and it's completely fair, and, and it's actually welcome because it helps hash out all the questions that everyone else might have. So not everybody. So for example, if you are in the shoes of, of Kraken or Bitstamp, not these crypto companies can't borrow at zero percent. Uh, it's very, very difficult for them to get traditional financing. Uh, and largely what ends up happening is they end up having to place Bitcoin or other type of assets as collateral to get the, you know, the liquidity. And so I think the, the real reason why you see such high uh, demand really for dollars is because a lot of the platforms that are uh, providing uh, margin services to clients have a big demand to essentially fuel these uh, these trades. They need dollars so they can lend them to their clients but their clients want to buy more digital assets. So they're willing essentially to pay higher rates uh, than traditional finance would because they just don't have access to that type of lending or that type of borrowing. All right. All right. Any, uh, Gabriel, you're, you have any uh, questions about the, the, the product and the state thoughts on stable coins, et cetera? Not really. I mean, I definitely get the appeal. Um, I've been considering offering a stablecoin option with the app that I'm building right now, too, for that very reason. Just new new people in the space, when, they, when their friends are warning them about getting involved in Bitcoin, that's always one thing that comes up is, oh, you could be one of those people that just lose everything, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So just keeping the simplicity there is worth something, that peace of mind. But um, I was curious, are you all uh, based in one location or are you guys spread out or? Uh, we're based in Canada. So we're, we're a Canadian company, but we're- That's a big our... place. Yeah, we're in Toronto. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, so we're Toronto-based, uh, but most, so I, I'm from Venezuela. A lot of our, actually, over half of our team is also from LATAM. Mm -hmm. So we have a big client base down there. I guess over 60% of our clients are actually in Latin America. Okay, I was I was planning to move up to Ontario, probably Ottawa next year and get some land there and expand a bit. And I'll I'll definitely need a tour guide to introduce me to the crypto scene. So maybe I'll come find you for a beer or something. Definitely. Right. In well, motion here. Connections yeah. made. Pound that like button. Uh, Adam, I, I'd <laughs> like to add about stable coins in general. Yeah, I was going to add. Yeah, continue. Yeah, because look, there's been a lot of, I guess, skepticism when you go back from day one with all the Tether stuff with Bitfinex. Uh, but the fact is, um, you know, stable coins are now here to stay. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was, I was just listening to an interview with somebody I can remember was who's been, you know, very deep into that working over in Hong Kong forever. And he's saying that that this is a huge, huge business in Asia now, Tether alone, let alone stable coins. And, you know, it just makes intuitive sense that there are people in nations who, uh, A, they want the privacy of cryptocurrency, B, they do not want their own currencies. And so it, it to me is, you know, the, there's the, the maximalist side that says, no, stable coins will all collapse. They're just banks everywhere and governments will stop them. 
but I think you're going to see institutions uh, that that house stable coins grow as fast as any bankers uh, banking group has ever grown. It may be the biggest growth segment of banks, period, aside from Bitcoin itself in the coming years. I think it's fantastic. I mean, look, look at, for instance, Caitlin Long and, and her Avanti Bank when they, they get their license. Uh, you know, obviously, Wyoming is looking to be the Malta of the United States and Malta is the Malta of Europe. And there's going to be other places like that that are going to find ways to safely store stable coins. And I think stable coins are an amazing thing. I don't have any need for them in my life, but I, I, I expect it to be an enormous growth industry. And guess what? If you have stable coins like USDC and Tether, guess what the next step is? You buy Bitcoin with them. Hopefully. This, and I, I, I think that's beautifully said. That, that's just, I could not agree more with what you just said. And just to say, like one of the one of the things that I became most most excited about when we first launched this business, when we did Bitcoin back loans, was that for the first time ever, somebody in Colombia had the same collateral and could get the same terms and the same funding and the same treatment that someone in Canada. Because a Bitcoin in Canada is a Bitcoin anywhere, and we couldn't we we were able to not discriminate essentially, regardless of where you were. But assuming we could service the, the jurisdiction you were in. That, were, that basically enabled us to standardize the service. With stable coins, you're really leveling the playing field because you're bringing down the learning curve exponentially. Uh, when you, even when you try to explain to somebody what DAI is, it becomes more difficult because it's just, it doesn't have a USD on it. But the second you put USD and a letter or USD and a this, and you make it very simple to send and receive, people get it really, really quickly. So I think it's a way that it allows companies like us the, uh, an ability to provide the same service to a Canadian than to a Colombian. Uh, and Andy, you, you gave two points why stable coins were awesome and well, why you liked them. But the third one is what he just, I mean, they're basically they're the dollar. So everyone is used to the dollar already. So it's, uh, it gets rid of the learning curve. It's people are very comfortable with them because they value their, the whole darn world values their wealth in dollar dollars and it, it helps boost up the dollar even more. I mean, it, it, it's, it supports the dollar even more, uh, which some people might not like. But uh, well, yeah, well, well, if you're like the uh, that Lebanese uh, journalist you're talking about who, <laughs> who hasn't figured out Bitcoin yet, and look, a lot of people haven't, obviously there's going to be a lot of people like her who, who still value their worth in fiat currency, but they realize that they're in nations, which are most of them, where the currencies are going to fall against the dollar. It doesn't matter whether you believe the dollar is going to quote, collapse or not. We all know the dollar's purchasing power is going down over time, certainly against Bitcoin. But it's it's not going to collapse against the lesser, you know, the third world nations. So there's going to be a need for stable coins and it's going to be a big business. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, let, let's let's move on to uh, the, the dollar and a quote of yours here. Andy, only two scenarios are possible. One, infinite QE yields, financial asset hyperinflation, or two, it fails to support financial assets and money printing goes parabolic by Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I mean, because you know, we, we talked about in our, the last show we were at, the, the whole thing with the Bitcoin be correlated to financial markets. And we all know who've been in Bitcoin a long time that it's not. I mean, there's a reason why it's talked about as an uncorrelated asset. The only time it's ever really been correlated in any measure has been in the you know post-virus world of a couple of months 
And that doesn't mean it's because it's changed to that. It's just that right now markets are in flux. Uh, you still have obviously a, a lack of education, uh, but it's this is a short-term thing. The fact is that uh, that that Bitcoin is going to benefit from benefit from this situation more than any other asset. And and the whole the whole point about you know when people talk about the correlation, oh no, the market's going to crash, the stock market, so Bitcoin will go with it. And, and I sit there, I go, you're, you're kidding me, right? Does anyone, including Peter Schiff, who calls Bitcoin the ultimate risk asset, really believe that Bitcoin is a like economically sensitive stock or an industry or a company that is worried about the economy getting weaker? It's a tiny little small market cap asset class which represents real money. And if the, if the government is in fact able to hyperinflate assets, uh, which is what they're trying to do. And I assure you, they will try further. Uh, and let alone if we have a new administration of socialists, they will do everything they can to pump up the price of the stock and bond markets. And if they do, great. It'll mean inflation of all financial assets and Bitcoin will go up more. Now, if they actually fail and like, let's say we have another crash now, like we had in March and they can't rescue the markets with money printing, well, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to double, triple, quadruple. They are literally going to print the, the, the money into oblivion in the space of weeks and months time and destroy everything that there is on earth financially. Uh, so, you know, there's no fear in me about uh, what the stock market is going to do uh, regarding, uh, you know, this economic environment, which is only going to get far worse. Ooh, God, pound that like button, people. Yeah, it's classic Andy Hoffman. By the way, Gregor Kovacs sent... Nine ninety nine. Thank you. He says Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, dude. Oh man, you're you're down with it. All right, uh, Gabriel, your your take on Bitcoin, uh, its correlation to the stock market, and uh, is the stock is the stock market overvalued? What, how about money printing? We we covered a lot just there, so I'm sure you have some ideas uh, to share. Yeah, I just try to keep kind of a big picture perspective. It's it's always tempting to get sucked in and start playing the game, and but <laughs> I've tried to make a conscious effort not to. I use Bitcoin all the time. It's very useful to me in selling real estate to international customers and such. But I I don't buy coins and speculate on them and that sort of thing. I think in the big picture, yes, of course, it's going to outperform all the fiat currencies that you could possibly name. But that's that's just a big picture trend. I don't put dates on anything. I don't try to tell you when to buy and when to sell or anything like that. But how do you how do you personally combat uh, money printing? Because I mean, every every country. I mean, you don't. How how do you store? How do you save? Oh, you don't. You don't. No. <laughs> I'm not a saving type. I think you should always be investing in actual business activity. You, you should always be building things. You should always be, you know, thinking along those lines instead of just trying to protect your, your currency somehow, you know. All right. Yeah. Yeah, but what, if, what if the business environment is in a full scale collapse? Because it, it, that is what is happening right now. It's not an overstatement. Yep. Sometimes it's no, safe yeah, for sure. cash, but sometimes the cash isn't safe either. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've had to essentially suspend operations here and wait for the country to reopen. It's all in lockdown right now. So, I mean, our cash really isn't doing us any good because we can't spend it. So. <laughs> I mean, think about the, the situation the world is in right now because of mm -hmm. all these years of QE and uh, that and have, that have taken interest rates down to essentially zero and all the debts that have been accumulated. 
the only way that this can keep going is if debt can continually be uh, issued by everyone from governments to municipalities, corporations, individuals at an exponentially higher rate. And the only way that even has a chance at happening is if interest rates stay at zero or negative or whatever. You negative. Want yeah. And all, the only way that can happen is with money printing. And of course, if the stock market goes down and all that wealth, we're talking about hundreds of, of trillions of dollars worth of wealth uh, has to be protected. If that goes away, then there's going to be more money printing. So again, right now, to me, the primary goal of anyone should be to realize the ramifications of what's about to happen. What we just got the last three months is the typical, you know, government comes in like in 2008 or 2002, prints a lot of money and pumps up the markets. But, you know, this is not a one-time event. This is an expanding mm -hmm. economic collapse. It's going to get far worse. Uh, we talked about it in March, talking about it now. Things are much worse now. Uh, and we were talking about today. Now they're shutting down all the bars and restaurants and states again. I mean, mm -hmm. we won't be able to survive this. And the only ramification, the only recourse that you're going to see from governments is printing more and more money. So protecting money now, to me, protecting wealth is going to be paramount. Yeah, and we're about to start actually feeling the pinch because until now, the printing has gone on, but uh, credit ratings haven't been affected yet. But right now, we're starting to hear that in Canada, you know, they've enjoyed a AAA credit rating for so long now. And now it's like, okay, well, now your household debt is 200% of GDP. So uh, how long do you think you're going to keep that credit rating? <laughs> yeah, everything's been, everything's been on pause. No one, the credit ratings yeah. have been like, well, we'll just wait a few months. Everything will be fine. The, a lot of the businesses have been holding out as long as they can. You have the insurance and the, the payments that they're like, that'll be good. But guess what? That's going to end now. We have a new administration that's probably going to come in into America that's going to be pure socialist. So any any kind of this hope like, yeah, everything is fine. We just needed to wait. That's going to be dashed very quickly. All that debt has to be paid back one way or the other. And most likely it's going to be paid with inflation. Okay. I want to hear... Uh... Uh, Mauricio, your take on uh, money printing, stock market, anything? Um, so I'll, I'll mention a funny anecdote that I that I that I say often, or, or I say to some of my friends. Maybe you already heard it, but I, I, I've actually I did better shorting the Bolivar than long Bitcoin, like financially uh, <laughs> so far. Uh, and, and people ask, you know, how how do you do that? Uh, how do you short the Bolivar, right? Uh, and in, in, in a roundabout way, and this is not in any way trying to show this, but in, in a roundabout way, that's kind of how I ended up at the lettered model. Because how you short the Bolivar is you take a dollar or a Bolivar loan by an entity, a Venezuelan bank that was that had a mandate to issue these loans. And the loans, eventually, because the, the government needs to save face, the loan rates have to get priced below inflation. Uh, and, and so what ends up happening is that you end up borrowing at this ridiculous artificial rate. Uh, and you buy hard assets. So I would buy dollars with my loans. Uh, and I would just wait for inflation to do its thing. And a month, in a few months, I would just convert back a fraction of the loan, pay back my full loan in full, and I would do it all over again. Uh, so this idea of not only uh, the concept of not selling your Bitcoin, to me, became very important. Not ever selling your Bitcoin. Uh, if I needed to sell my Bitcoin, I would instead take a loan uh, because the loans would always be easier to pay back. <laughs> Uh, and so what, what ended up happening was that I became very, very emphatic about facilitating this model. Uh, and it really started out because I've, I was feeling so much pain selling my Bitcoin when I had to go buy my mining equipment. 
And I didn't really like the token models and the other things that other lenders were doing. So we decided to do this as a Canadian transparent operation uh, and let people place their Bitcoin as collateral borrow. So I guess to the, er the earlier point, buy Bitcoin. And, to, and I guess to close it off, don't sell it. And by the way, that is absolutely a brilliant thing you did. Uh, but I'm guessing that that window of arbitrage to do that will close very quickly. The loans getting short term and short term and the yeah, rates go higher and higher. So it, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's move to another subject here. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, we talked about Venezuela. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I don't know. Uh, if anyone's got takes on this, but I'll start with Mauricio. Uh, the DeFi stuff, it's getting frothy, it seems like. <laughs> There's been, I'm not gonna mention all the DeFi products that people are pumping up now, but I mean, this last week, it seems like a lot of money has been flowing into, I don't even know what this stuff even does. Uh, ha have you noticed it? Are we, are we about to hit, uh, is this the tip of the uh, ICO part two iceberg? Oh man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, listen. I, I just the, my my concern around this is that too, I feel like there's too many people rushing into it with very with too little understanding of, of what this is and what this does. Uh, and, and I think that there, there there is no such thing as a free lunch. So you should always try to understand where things are coming from before you just go in and eat that free lunch. What you think might be a free lunch because you're probably gonna get wrecked. So I think people need to understand what they're doing better. I think most people that are participating in this, you know, probably know not not know don't know what they're doing well enough. Uh, and I I don't I don't think that it you know it, it's very hard to sustain uh, you know uh, models where you have a high level of incentives uh, and, and that you know these incentives tend to distort the actual economic activity that actually needs to happen. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I think there's just a lot of a lot of noise and a lot of uh, marketing going around. Uh, but I'd love for the dust to settle and see what you know, what if any actually ends up producing value uh, and helping people out. And what if not? And, and what ends up being just a, a you know one a passing gimmick? Uh, Gabriel, have you heard about this DeFi madness? Has it has it hit you? I'm not up to speed. No. Good. <laughs> that's that, that's what uh that uh, the guy uh, the Indian guy who owns uh, part of the Golden State Warriors he got asked about DeFi he's like what's that mm. <laughs> but he definitely knew what Bitcoin is all right Andy you uh, are, are we about to experience a new ICO type of madness uh well you know when I it's only you know I listen to podcasts and people are talking about how some of them have gone wild I don't even know what they are which ones they are. I mean, at this point, we have on coin market cap, we alone, we have 6,000 or so <laughs> coins and and there's going to be many more. And look, I think and, you know, more than anyone, there's no way that the stupidity uh, of the space is going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that some of the, the top 10 are still like I, I just keep looking at, for instance, like Bcash and BSV with the four three billion dollar market cap some god i just i don't understand i can't believe after all these years that people actually buy these things at all so if they BSV, buy, it's, it's unbelievable BSV. i mean unbelievable. i can't i can't put around with especially with craig what right and all his law cases and lying autistic he says he is i mean it's, it's yeah, unbelievable. He, and, and it has a three billion dollar market cap so 
the point is, you know, are people going to speculate on stuff? I mean, yeah, look, we just had a super, super frothy uh, stock market top. In fact, if you look at a, a chart, someone just put it up of the NASDAQ, because I, I barely follow stocks anymore. And you look at the NASDAQ chart, the bubble we've just had, like the chart looks crazier than what it looked like in the dot-com era. Um, so, and look at the Robin Hood, the craziness and the Hertz. I mean, absolutely crazy stuff. So yeah, it makes sense to me that at this frothy period of markets that we've seen uh, insanity in, in, in crypto. Of course, we haven't seen it in Bitcoin, which is what's so ironic. Uh, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of stupid people doing a lot of dumb things. And as for DeFi in general, I mean, look, I have an open mind about stuff, but I just don't get it. I mean, I've seen the horror stories already in actual DeFi, like Maker, and it comes down to centralization. Uh, I don't think it's possible to have a decentralized finance. Someone's got to hold the money. And yes. uh, so to me, the whole DeFi thing is absolutely ridiculous. And but it's, it's not ridiculous that people speculate uh, on stupid things. Yeah, that's what this is where the big boys play. And we've you're free to invest in anything insane that you want to. If a guy says he's autistic and he created a coin and there's some tulip trust and you want to give him money, then, hey, that, no one can stop you. That's uh, that's the wild, wild west we're in here. You're going to learn the hard way. Uh, I, I would. Oh, yes, Mauricio. I just have a question in case somebody knows this better than I do, because I don't know this well enough, but I've heard enough news going around and I just love to hear if anyone here thinks there's any validity to this. But on the topic that, that you were making just now about frothy markets and why Bitcoin's perhaps not partaking, I've heard a lot about the selling pressure that might be coming from these scams, that these, these plus yes. token scams that yes. have just massive amounts of Bitcoin that they've been selling on schedule over the last months. And that might be a reason why we've been basically held back from the party. Uh, I'd love to hear if anyone knows anything about that. That might be. I, don't I, I yeah. think that that was a reason. I don't know if that's going to continue. I think with Ethereum is about to feel that. Uh, that there's some Ethereum that they, they just moved. The scammers moved that they're going to dump. So Ethereum might feel that soon. But I think Bitcoin did, it, it did play somewhat of a role, yeah, but yeah, I don't. I don't know if it, it will continue. I think they it, might have got rid of it all. By it now. played a huge, played a huge role, uh, but the thing is, it's all gone. Uh, if there, I mean, the, the numbers were there of what what how much Bitcoin there was, and there was some uh, you know big drops in the fall related to it. Uh, I mean, there could be a tiny bit left, but essentially, uh, it's it's common knowledge that it's all gone. But not the ether, and uh, you know, a nice chunk was moved the other day. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if someone dumps one, they dump them all. I mean, if Ether, someone uh, sold it, uh, then, you know, it would probably take the whole sector. But I'm not worried about plus token. I think that's that's old news. I think you just have a lot of uh, consolidation here. You do have a lot of financial markets that are that are betting on, quote, reflation trades. They're scared of everything. So if everything go, if stocks go up, uh, then they buy Bitcoin. If, if they go down, they sell Bitcoin. But it's a temporary, a temporary correlation that'll go away, and um, you know. Uh, but plus token, I don't think is an issue anymore. We, we, we were just talking about you, you mentioned when we we're talking about DeFi, how it's it's not really decentralized; it's centralized. Let's talk about something else that's centralized and relates to a previous topic: uh, Fed coins. Huh. Uh, and I, I want to ask Mauricio about this because Mauricio, obviously, you're a huge fan of stable coins. What Canada is hiring people to create a Fed coin. They're going to end up with a, uh, a 
uh, a Fed coin in Canada, and the United States will eventually too. Uh, what's your take on that? You know, given that your perspective on stable coins. I think uh, no. I listen. I think that the governments are absolutely interested uh, because, for many reasons, one of the things that I, I find uh, the trickiest thing around how you would execute this is if you create the Canadian, you know, or the U.S. dollar coin issued by the Federal Reserve, um, what becomes your native wallet? Uh, like, is it a Fed wallet? Yeah. And are you going to be banking with the Fed? Yeah. Because if you do that, you kill private banking. Yes. 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 Uh, and so it, you can't do that, right? Like, well, short of you trying to, you know, completely nuke yourself as a country, uh, you won't you be able to do that. Country, you saw Venezuela go communist. So, I mean, that's you're saying it's the road to communism. I mean, it's the road to socialism, right? Well, yeah, but in a way, I mean, yes, they could destroy their own banking system. Uh, I mean, if they hated their own banking system like they do in Venezuela, then for sure, that would be an absolutely brilliant way to, to completely destroy them uh, entirely. Uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a real economy where it's not a failed state just yet, uh, I think citizens uh, and even like, you know, institutions should stand up and say, have you thought this through? Uh, you know, this is actually going to hit a massive reset on all. I think perhaps someone should try it first uh, before we go out and try to decimate our own banking infrastructure. Because as far as I understand it, you know, the U.S. financial system is the biggest moat there is in the planet. So anything that may present a risk to that, I think it needs to be very, very well thought out. Um, so that's my that's the tricky thing with me about the, the coins. It's like, how do you how do you create this central coin issued by this central entity? Um, and and not people not get people tempted to deal directly with the owner of the circus, like we say, right? And and essentially cream everyone else underneath. Andy, you, you were going to say, yes. Um, you know this this would be an admission of failure uh, as a state. So it's not something to be taken lightly. I mean, for one, look, because the digital dollar. You know, right now all nations are quote digital, but what that would really mean would be one, you'd be taking cash out of circulation, B, you'd be monitoring all transactions, and C, you'd probably become, you know, you'd probably be eliminating your central bank and becoming the central bank. Uh, and like uh, Mauricio says, you'd probably be eliminating your banks too, because look, the negative interest rates, I mean, you could set negative interest rates for the whole country. That's yes. That makes negative interest rates work. It takes away privacy. It gives governments all they, they need to do, but like he said, you destroy society in doing it. So I, I don't think that, you know, I think right now, like for instance, uh, the, the government of Canada hiring consultants, they're really talking more about the uh, cashless society thing, which is bad enough itself. But ultimately, you know, once they get that power, cause you will have a USD uh, treasury wallet. Once they get that, it's just, you know, the slippery road down to taking over all other banking activities and 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 fostering uh, and and instilling your will on the nation like for instance negative interest rates and the monitoring of all transactions well i think i think the desire for negative interest rates will become uh so so high that uh this this will become a reality now will it maybe they'll partner up with the private banks in some way to preserve them i mean there's there's different ways you can i mean look the, the, fa the fact is adam negative interest rates uh, is going to be 
that's hyperinflation right there. You can't, it, there's no such thing as negative interest rates. The fact, the fact that we see it right now and it's being experimented in a little, you know, a lot of market manipulation to like keep the, the veneer. But if you're going to move to a world where rates are actually negative, you're going to have hyperinflation and societal collapse. It can't be done. Uh, so this is, we're just in the, the beginning stages of, of trying it. But like I said, with all the debt exponentially growing, rates and rates have already been negative, uh, you know, for several years for the banks. But now we're starting to see, uh, I see Deutsche Bank just installed it for clients, uh, wealthy clients in Europe. And ultimately, it's going to happen, uh, you know, to more and more real world applications. And what are people going to do? They're going to flee the currencies. And where are they going to go? Uh, they're going to go to Bitcoin. All right. Uh, Gabriel, do you have any thoughts on uh, the, the Fed coins uh, countries uh, doing this, having their own cryptocurrencies? I agree with everything that's been said so far. I always try to find a, a silver lining in things, and I guess it might help in selling cryptos as a whole to people and getting get, getting them comfortable. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, like, true. maybe the government will give people their first taste of cryptos, and then they'll go, oh, this isn't so bad, and then they'll go buy some Bitcoin, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is the silver lining. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, who's going to be the first uh, entity to accept uh, U.S. or Canadian uh, Fed coin for Bitcoin, and the point. The, oh, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I, I think uh, well, the, the 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 Bitcoin organizations that uh, the Bitcoin entities that follow all the you know the New York uh, law and all that, that they'll be the ones that uh, that that I mean they'll do whatever the government tells them. Uh, Maybe it'll be PayPal. <laughs> very compliant. Well, well, yes, and the prices will be very, very high. It's kind of like the, the trying to buy Bitcoin in Venezuela. If you want to actually try to, you know, return this horrible, disgusting concoction for Bitcoin, the price will have to be exponentially higher. All right, I want to. I want to go back to Gabriel when in, at the beginning of the show you started to talk about the situation in Chile. I want to. We're, we're on everybody's conclusionary thoughts here, and I think we've covered everything. But I, I want to. I just want to point out to everyone that. In the end of last year, 2019, in Santiago, uh, it, it was pretty crazy on the streets. And I actually I contacted Gabriel to see if everything was all right. These people in Santiago, I, I was there in 2018 where I met Gabriel in person, actually. And it is a beautiful city, a wealthy city, a, the wealthiest country in uh, South America. Yet these spoiled college kids, I guess, I mean, they don't realize they're spoiled. They're like... They got the sickle hammer signs out there on their college, and it it, it over the the year between twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen they took it to the next level, and they're having like communist revolutions parades on the streets of Santiago, uh, and this is the most capitalistic country in, in in South America, and these people are demanding serious like communism, socialism, and and it to me it was big news, and then. 2020 started and everybody forgot about it because of what has happened. Now we're in the United States. We don't have people calling outright for Marxism. We sort of, well, some have, I guess, but it, it really resembles what was going on down there. And so Santiago is shut down because of the, the, the virus, correct? Yeah. Um, so you, and you said before, at least, so there's no communist marches anymore, correct? Not marches, no. Okay, but is, this, is the sentiment still there? Do you see oh, Chile yeah. going down the tube? Uh, which I mean, and and the leaders were giving in to these people, from what I recall. They oh yeah, this is 
this is why I say that what's happening in the U.S. looks like an exact copy because the response is even basically the same. I mean, Chile was quicker to rush into martial law sort of measures. We haven't quite seen that in the U.S. yet, but uh, Piñera, like, he didn't know what to do. He was completely impotent. He had a huge opportunity, just like Trump did, to, you know, show his strength to his base and clamp down and put on a big show and stuff, but he didn't. He just kind of tried to sit back and wait and hope it all sorted itself out, but of course it didn't. It just got worse and worse. So he, you know, he just said, okay, let the military take over. And it's, we're, we're still in that state right now where the military is in charge and everything's just, you know, they're, they're trying to keep a lid on things. And so it, it seems like the, the government doesn't have either or, you know, the will or the ability to handle either situation, whether it's peaceful protests or some kind of a virus, you know, because <laughs> both situations were both responded to very poorly and they clearly have no plan to improve either. They're just waiting for everything to sort itself out. Is there any defiance by the Chilean people against the lockdown orders? Or are they no. just accepting it? They're totally compliant. Unbelievable. They're very good livestock here. They've been well trained. <laughs> the sheep. All right. Yeah. That's the same here. No, it's no, no, no. But it's not the same. Here, people are the, the armed guys going to the state house in uh, in Michigan. I mean, people having pool party. The United States, from what I've seen, the people of the United States are the most defiant against this. It, it, it's sure there's a lot of screaming Karens out there. But it, it, the, the people of the United States are the most defiant of the people of the world uh, com compared, you know, well, if, to the situation. If we're, we are the most defiant, then that's pretty sad for the state of the world because we are hardly yeah, defiant. Yeah, it is. It is a sad state of the world. You're, you're absolutely right. But there, this is uh, of the uh, it, it's just like the dollar is the best of all the, the fiat currencies. Fiat currencies are terrible, but there's the best one. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask Mauricio. Mauricio. Uh, something that happened in Venezuela, there's a tweet by some young lady out there just saying to the Americans, the first thing they did, some of the things they did in Venezuela, they tore down all the monuments, they wanted all the history erased, and so it was easy to, to usher in uh, a, a new era. What do you think about all these protests on the streets of America, and you know, they've been in Canada also, uh, that, that are calling for a new regime's uh, just a new a new way of, of looking at the I can completely tear down of the system. Uh, what, what do yeah. you think about this? Um, you know, I guess my my two cents is uh, you know there obviously there have been some some ugly events that have that have happened uh, yes. right and and I think what what ended up happening was that we we sent the entire world into this lockdown uh, with very little instructions. Uh, you know, pressure kept mounting. It doesn't matter if you can, you know, give somebody a subsidy or whatnot, just so they can get by. But just cooping someone in and removing them from everything that's natural, taking away and, and constantly feeding you fear every day: death numbers, infections, death numbers, infections, death numbers, infections. Restaurants closed, restaurants closed, stock markets crashing, everything's crashing, and then all of a sudden you have a very, 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 you know, gory or or vivid event that that just acts as the spark. And, and then all of a sudden there's just outrage that just blows up. Uh, and then this outrage, you know, you see it in Venezuela, all of a sudden the outrage takes a shape and then it takes some sort of 
leadership, but then that narrative keeps morphing into different things and they keep finding more reasons to keep doing more things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just people are just stressed. Uh, people are just angry. They want change. They're not happy with the way things are. They'll go to change anything. They almost don't even know what they want to change. They just want change, right? And, and you know, you saw that in Venezuela and there are politicians that can be very good at capturing this energy and then corralling it and telling people, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And they just kind of championing it and took it away. This is what Chavez ended up happening. Uh, but I think importantly, it's also, governments also have to understand that, and they do, that these things tend to go in waves, right? And so they'll, a lot of times they'll sit back and they'll say, is this a real thing? Can we, can we wait until this blows over a bit before we run in and act right away? Um, and sometimes they make the wrong call. Right, so I think there's just been a lot of moving pieces, a lot of flared temperament, a lot of flared emotions, uh, and a lot of people that just just want to just let it go, like just let it out, right? Like let the frustration out for what's for everything that's happened in 2020, and this is just their their way of saying it. Uh, so I just think we need to be cautious not to go far into one either direction or say things that can be very hurtful to one end or the other, because then it's very easy to just keep going tit for tat. So I think it's like it's important to take a step back and think, okay, like, what's the real problem about? Is it, give people a minute to breathe and and see what they're really mad about. Because I think a lot of times people even have a hard time articulating the change they want. Oh yeah, definitely. Some people have no idea what they want. They're just angry. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's. Uh, wait, wait. Your mic is down totally. Your mic's down, Andy. It is. Yeah, it's totally off. It's like barely. Pump it up. All right, but well, while Andy's fixing his mic, I want to I want to go to Gabriel for his uh, closing words and tell everybody about Fort Galt and any other projects you're working on. Anything you want to pr promote? Well, Fort Galt is this this thing that sounded like a really weird, extreme idea back when we started it, but now suddenly I don't have to explain it to anyone. <laughs> it kind of just clicks when I tell them, "Oh yeah, I, I, you know." went out down to Chile in the middle of the rainforest on, on the coast and I'm building this new village with a bunch of friends and stuff that they're like, Oh yeah, that, that sounds great. I wish I was there too. <laughs> so, so I guess the marketing aspect of things is a little bit simpler. Now the, the, the harder part now is like when people actually do want to come and visit, it's, it's harder for them to do so because the country's locked down. So we're just, uh, we're just biding our time, kind of sitting pretty and waiting for things to open up again. And then I'm sure things will be flowing nicely, but yeah, we've, Fort, we've Fort Galt does not lock down. Pound that like button. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, anything else going on? Anything else you want to share? I'll come and bug you again in a month or two, and I'll I'll have a bunch more to talk about. But all right, yeah. very good, good, good to have you back. Everybody enjoys you. All right, let's. Andy, is your mic working out, dude? It's not working. I think. Uh, un un unplug it or use another mic. But we'll go to for now. We'll go to Mauricio's. Uh, Tell us about Ledin and uh, anything you're working on, conclusionary uh, remarks. Uh, yeah, so Ledin is, is Ledin.io. You know, we offer loans and uh, loans if you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, which we know is very important to hold, uh, and loans to buy more Bitcoin if, if you so choose. Uh, and you can also earn interest on your Bitcoin and earn interest on your USDC. Uh, Ledin.io, and I'm Cryptonomista on Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you guys have any any questions or comments uh, about LATAM or any of the products we offer, feel free to reach out. Testing. All right, these dudes are all linked to below, including.
including Andy Hoffman. Always check out the links below, people. You you learn more about uh, what we were talking about in the show. All right, Andy, I heard you say testing there. Uh, pump it up some more. S say something, Andy. Or just get your mouth right up there and give your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Andy, can you hear us even? Uh-oh. We're, we're, I think we're going to have to conclude here. No, you don't... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Say Hello? something. We heard you. We heard Adam? you. Yes, say it. There say we it. go. There we go. <laughs> you can yes. hear me? Yes. yes. I yes. cannot hear you. I'll hey. give my comments. Okay. I was, <laughs> and again, I can't hear any of you, but I'll, I'll just say my comments here. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say was just to add to what we were talking about before about uh, socialism. I mean, it's, it's too late uh, for people to say nice things. People are desperate for money. Governments are desperate for money. And right now, the you know, look, the U.S. populace, just like everyone else, will vote someone out just because they're unhappy. Now they'll vote someone out because they're more unhappy and in greater financial straits than they've ever been before in history. Uh, we are going to have a Democratic uh, sweep in Congress in just a few months' time. You can see the odds right now. And with that, we're going to go full socialism. We are going to probably have UBI. We're probably going to have even greater amounts of money printing and bigger government, and it's gonna be a really scary situation. And we are supposedly the greatest country in the world. So I think people start need to realize that the ramifications socially of what's happening now are gonna be as big or bigger than even the monetary and financial ones. And it's a sad stage for the world, but you know what? Good things will come out of it like Bitcoin. All right, protect yourselves with Bitcoin, everyone. That's it, that's This Week in Bitcoin. Thank you, Andy. and and Gabriel and of Mauricio for, for being here today. It was a great show. Remember, we're here every single Friday for This Week in Bitcoin. You get a new show every day. Follow me on Twitter at TechBall, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, Disrupt Meister. Pound that like button, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow on the Backup Channel. We'll see you next Friday. Well, you know, just keep checking out TechBall on Twitter. You get all the updates there. And check out the links below. Bye-bye, everybody. Have